All right, welcome. Another episode of the Unplugged Alpha, live on episode 126. Today we're covering living with a gal. Shacking up with a gal is what we'll call this one, and uh, when living with a woman is unwise. There's some lessons in this one which are really, really important. I'm going to get to that in just a second. A um, little bit of housekeeping. Uh, Philip, Ethan, welcome. Thank you for joining the channel membership. YouTube keeps telling me to encourage channel memberships. It helps with the algorithms and growing the channel. So uh, there's a super cheap tier. It's like 99 cents a month. Just anything to uh, placate them. Hopefully they'll uh, make it more favorable in the algorithm. So thanks for joining. Philip, I'll get to your super chat on vasectomies after I'm done my uh, um, lecture on living with a woman. Um, so there's a couple of examples that I want to bring to your attention today. Um, we know, you know, women are great and all, and they're always pushing for more. Where is this going? When are we going to live together? Are we just going to live apart forever? Are we ever going to get married? Blah, blah, blah. And the vast majority of men um, make this decision uh, uninformed. It's, it's a very important decision. It's a very critical decision. Yeah. Sorry, I just want to make sure I got my volume up loud enough. Can you guys hear me okay? Um, most people don't understand the consequence of getting involved with a woman to the degree of living with them brings into their life. Uh, it is misunderstood until they're sitting into a divorce lawyer's office because the knot is being untied and um, she wants some of your shit or your kids or a combination of all those things. And then that's when guys understand what they got into. Nobody tells you up front. It's just, you know, do it. You know, they tell men and women totally different things. They tell women, you do what's right for you, girl. And they tell men, just do what's right. And when women do what's right for them, girl, it's always involving connecting and being with a strong, virtuous male that has provisioning capability, protection capability, resources, and all that stuff. Um, it's not usually done the other way. Now, it can affect women the other way too. Like women can get the short end of the stick if they end up inviting a broke guy into their life and they're the breadwinner and they have the house and he moves into her house. So family law isn't unique in that it hates fathers. It's just that because of women's solipsistic nature and their hypergamous nature where they're always dating across and up on a socioeconomic scale, they, you know, they find a guy with a, a good lifestyle, a nice car, a nice house, vacation property, boat, the ability to travel, all that kind of stuff. They latch their meat hooks into them. And, uh, you know, they start intermingling lives, which is where stuff gets complicated. So believe it or not, you can love a woman and not live with her. So I'm going to say that again. You can love a woman and not live with her. And by the end of this podcast, this uh, monologue, you're going to understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so um, I'll basically sum up the... Um, situation because it's Sutton versus Bell and it's a New Zealand court case and you get, might be thinking well that's New Zealand that's forever away I don't even know where that is I've, I'll, I'll never go there in my lifetime lifetime why does that matter to me well I'm going to use another case in North America as well after this which is actually even worse this just happens to be a recent case that was brought to my attention so thank you to the viewer that sent that to me if you guys come across anything that you feel I need to take a look at, shoot me an email with it and I'll have a look at it. My email is in the about section of the YouTube channels. So this happened recently. Um, and, you know, like any other relationship, it starts off with uh, very good intentions. You know, 
he's like, you know, she smells nice. Uh, he, she's like, he, you know, he looks nice. He's got some stuff and, you know, uh, the capability to provide and stuff. So let's do things together. So I'm just going to read this to you because this is a summary that I got. I mean, at first I got the case law. I just, I just printed up the entire uh, docket and read through it. But it's not summarized and it's not, um, it's not in like layman's terms. Um, I'm going to try to distill this down to layman's terms. I spent a lot of time during my own divorce reading case law. It's one of the things that I encourage guys to do uh, in my course. It's called the uh, Unplugged Alpha's Guide to Divorce. If you guys are untying the knot or contemplating untying the knot, there's a link in the description uh, to my course, um, which will help help prepare you properly. And one of the things that I talk about when you're going through the process is read case law. And what case law is, it's it's public information. Um, so in Canada, you go to a website, it's called canli.org, C-A-N-L-I-I.org. And you can search for certain keywords, um, I don't know, like anything to do with child custody, with division of assets, depending on whatever it is that you're dealing with. You can actually search for keywords that are relevant to your case and then start reading judges' decisions on cases that are similar to what you were dealing with in the past, which gives you a pretty good idea of what would happen if you had to bring your case before a judge and you know your chances of winning the outcome or even relying on the outcome of a prior um, judgment for your own case because case law can be used in... Uh, future cases. That's basically what that means. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not giving you legal advice. It just so happens to be that I know a lot about law. I've dealt with lots of lawsuits. My ex-wife is a lawyer. Um, I I just know how to read this shit, right? Like it's like clear as day to me. So um, let me just read you this summary here. So law firms are actually a good resource for summarizing case law. So if you find case law in something that might interest you rather than read 120 pages, you can search the case. So in this case, it's Sutton v. Bell. Um, and then you put the country after it. And usually at some point, especially if it's a really weird case like this one is, a law firm will have one of their junior lawyers summarize a case in like a very short blog. So I'm just going to read you this one over here. So the title of this is The Curious Case of Sutton versus Bell, How Your De Facto Relationship Status Can Impact Your Ability to Restructure Your Property. It reads, it may come as a surprise that how you deal with your assets even before you are in a de facto relationship can impact your property rights. Now, I'm going to define de facto relationship in a moment as it relates to New Zealand law. And New Zealand, Australia, Canada, you know, the UK, obviously, all of these countries have a very similar legal structure. Even in, even in the US, it's, it's, it's not as similar, but it's more similar than it is dissimilar to the UK um, structure. So common law, for example, which is... Uh, familiar to anybody in Australia, New Zealand, Canada, for example, if you live with somebody for a prescribed period of time, then you're considered married by the government. In Ontario, it's two years. In the states, it varies state by state. In some states, they don't have common law. In other states, they have common law. So you have to talk to a lawyer about that sort of stuff. So again, a lot of this stuff is very common throughout the West. So broadly speaking, so just just understand that this is how things generally work. So in Sutton versus Bell, um, the Court of Appeal held that if a couple are in a contemplation of a, de- of a de facto relationship, the court may set aside a disposition of property. So in this case, it was a trust agreement where he put his property in trust prior to the relationship. So a court may set aside a disposition of property such as the transfer of assets to a trust under Section 44 of Property, blah, 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 Act 1976, whatever. So basically what the court is saying is it doesn't matter what you do to protect your property. If we decide something different, then 
what your intention is with your property to protect it, even if it's not in your name, even if you put it in a trust, we can put everybody in a time machine and turn back the clock and basically put both of you as a couple in a place where she should be on title for the house. Okay. So background. Um, Mr. Sutton and Ms. Bell met July 2003. They began, a, sorry, they began a sexual relationship shortly afterwards. At that time, Mr. Sutton lived with two flatmates in a property that he owned on Point Chevalier, Auckland, name of the street, I guess. So dudes, it doesn't say his age, but he was um, basically you know, bought a house and he has two roommates in the house helping him out with the mortgage. Um, the property was Mr. Sutton's former matrimonial home. Okay, so, th so there we go. So he was married prior and he got divorced. Uh, Ex-wife left the house. He obviously bought her out, stayed in the house and said, I'm single, I'll move some roommates then to help pay for shit, probably because the divorce was expensive for him at the time. Then in early 2004, Ms. Bell moved into the property as a flatmate, it says in quotation marks. Miss Bell had her own bedroom, but slept in Mr. Sutton's bedroom. Now, isn't that shocking that she moves in as a roommate, but shortly after moving in as a roommate, starts porking the guy and basically sleeping in his bed instead of in her own bedroom. This is when things start to change. This is when family's law starts to evolve and mold. When you start behaving like you are a couple in a committed, exclusive relationship to one another, then the state starts to look at that as a marriage. Even if you don't take vows, even if you don't have a ceremony, even if you don't, like, she has her own bedroom, she's a renter, but she's sleeping in your bed and you're acting as a couple, right? I mean, you know, they always say, like, don't shit where you eat, right? Prime example, but, you know, let's keep going because guys love to complicate their life and justify why. Uh, at the end of 2004, Mr. Sutton transferred the property into a trust. Now keep in mind, they met in 2003 when she moved in as a roommate. Um, sorry, 2003, sorry, 2004 they met. At the end of 2004, so later on that same year, he transferred the property into a trust with her knowledge. And in fact, Ms. Bell suggested that Mr. Sutton place the property into a trust to ensure that it was considered separate property and not a family home. I'm going to say that shit again because this is how fucked up this is. This chick told him, encouraged him to put the property that she was in, rented while sleeping in his bed, into a trust so that it would be considered separate property and not a family home. Okay? So he's probably going at this point, well, this chick's cool. She cares about me. Uh, she doesn't want anything to do with my shit. Because that's what women will do, right? You know, before they, before they take your shit, or they, you know, start doing stuff like this. Excuse me a second. Mmm, coffee. Um, you know, they'll do the standard, I don't need anything from you. I'm self-sufficient. I really, I'm not here for your money. I just love you. Blah, blah, fucking blah. Several years later, guess what happens when they part ways? Now, all of a sudden, she's changed her mind. And you have to remember, guys, Women always reserve the right to change their mind at any given time. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it louder so the people in the back hear it. Women always reserve the right to change their mind at any given time. Are you paying attention? I feel like I need to shout these things sometimes. There's, I feel. Anyway, at the end of 2004, I transferred into the property trust. 
uh, not a family home. Let's keep going. So the couple then entered into a de facto relationship a month or two after the transfer of the property. So they're not officially a couple at the time that the trust was created. He did this before they became exclusive, before they formed a commitment, before she sat down and said, Mr. Sutton, I dig your vibe. Where do we stand? Where is this going? Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I dig your vibe. Let's do this. Let's become a couple. Let's, let's be official. Let's start going to each other's Christmas parties. Let's start taking vacations together. Uh, you don't need to probably live in the spare bedroom anymore uh, and rent it. You're now my girlfriend or whatever. You get the idea, right? So they entered into the, into the relationship a month or two after the transfer of the property and the trust. For the purposes of the act, a de facto relationship is between two people who are both over the age of 18 and living together as a couple. So that's the definition under law in that country. Two people living together, both over the age of 18 and as a couple. That is, the, that is now the definition in this country of a de facto relationship. Now, they don't talk about two years common law or anything like that. They just call it a de facto relationship. So it seems like in New Zealand, if you live with somebody and you're over 18 and you're a couple, you're basically married in the eyes of the state. Let's keep going. The couple continued to live at the property until they separated in 2012. <clears throat> so almost 10 years later, right? Shocking. Another another marriage, essentially, that didn't work out, right? As 50% of them do. And as you guys know, if you've read my book, which if you haven't, please, guys, the podcast is based on the book. The podcast builds on the book one episode at a time. As you would have learned in my book, there's a study which I talked about where they followed couples who had been together for an average of about eight and a half years, and they were asking them to report their state of affection for one another. And after about eight and a half years or so, less than 13% reported that they were still in love, and less than 3% reported that they were in a state of bliss, meaning like they're obsessed with each other. So every guy is just like, yeah, Let's do this. Let's let's live together and invite the government into our lives and, you know, be a couple and they also had kids. I'll get, you know, get into that in a second. What could possibly go wrong, right? Well, even if you stay together and you don't get divorced, the chances of you actually being in a loving, blissful relationship is exceptionally small. Half the marriages end, the other half that stay together, a very tiny percentage of them are still in love. Let's keep going. Ms. Bell subsequently claimed a half interest in the property on the basis that Mr. Sutton had transferred the property to the trust in order to defeat her entitlements under the act. Keep in mind, before they became a couple, it was documented that she encouraged Mr. Sutton to put his property in a trust for his own benefit and protection. <clears throat> The family court ordered that the property be transferred to Ms. Bell and Mr. Sutton as tenants in common. All that really means is you have equal interest in the property. Um, the high court dismissed Mr. Sutton's challenge that the decision, uh, sorry, the high court, so he challenged the original decision in a high court. He just took it to the next level, right? Like an appeal court. And Mr. Sutton's challenge to the decision, but it was appealed. So they just basically said, Sorry, I don't really care how you feel. This is how it looks on, looks like to us under law. 
So we're going to give her half your house. Keep in mind, this guy is prior married. So he probably had to pay out his, his, his first wife for whatever the value of the house was assessed at that time. Then he moved in roommates. Then he did the dumbest thing ever, moved in another chick and got into a relationship with her. And now she's taking half of the house after he's already paid out his ex for half of the house several years earlier. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I got to laugh, you know. Guys love to complicate their life and justify why they do it. I mean, hopefully this, this Mr. Sutton character learned his lesson by now and won't ever make a stupid mistake like this again. Anyway, let's keep going. The Court of Appeal decision is the next segment. Um, the Court of Appeal was required to determine two main issues. One, whether Section 44 of the Act can apply to a dis uh, disposition of the property made before a de facto relationship has commenced. And part two, if so, was the High Court correct to find Mr. Sutton had transferred the property and trust in order to defeat Mrs. Bell's right under the Act? I mean, it's pretty clear that he moved it to defeat her rights to the to the property, right? I mean, that's what he did. She even told him to do it, right? She, I wouldn't be surprised at that time if she knew exactly what she was doing. She's like, yeah, just go ahead and do it. You know, it'll protect you. Like, you know, we'll be safe together, totally thing. Because she, she probably knew in the back of her head or she probably spoke to somebody that she can just go back and like undo this uh, change, right? There's this uh, concept here um, called fraudulent conveyance. I don't know if you guys have ever heard about it. I'll, I'll explain it to you. So we came across this in my debt settlement business. And sometimes what would happen is you get these really uh, wise guys out there that go and borrow a lot of credit. Um, and then they'll go and put their house in their wife's name. We saw this a lot with uh, uh, uncoincidentally uh, Italian guys in waste management. Um, they, would, they would go and they'd have a whole bunch of debt like hundreds of thousands of dollars, uh, you know, they wouldn't pay it. They would claim that they were um, insolvent or they didn't have the uh, means to do so. Um, and then you would do a check on the address that was on the credit card statements and you'd find out that the title of the house was in their wife's name, not in both of their names, but only in the wife's name. And then you'd go back a little bit further to the uh, mortgage charges. They're called mortgage uh, chattels here. And you'd see you know, when mortgages were renewed, who was on title, when the house was bought, when titles were transferred. And at some point in all these cases, you know, the, these uh, guys who were wise to this would transfer the house into their wife's name. Now, the thing that they didn't know that they didn't get legal advice on or they didn't contemplate properly is that the concept of fraudulent conveyance means that if somebody does something to avoid legal consequences in the future, and it's within a certain period of time. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Uh, let's just say it's two years, you know, for argument's sake. So if I today transfer my house into my wife's name, I'm not married, obviously, but into my wife's name, I go and rack up a bunch of credit. And then the credit card companies start calling me and they threaten to sue me. And then they're like, oh, but uh, you're not on title on your house. And then they find out that I transferred it, let's say, 16 months ago. So it's within the, the two-year period. They can then still take me to court and have the judge turn back the clock and put me back on title of the house so they can place a lien on it, even though I'm not on title in the house, right? So before you start thinking that you're clever and finding ways to, you know, skirt law, trust me, like they've already dealt with this before. You're not creating something new. Like if you think that, oh, I'm just going to put it in trust to avoid her from taking, you know, my house if it doesn't work out. I mean, 
I don't know if his lawyer at the time that created the trust for him, because you need a law firm to create a trust for you, didn't talk to him about the fact that it's not going to protect him if she wants to turn back the clock and fuck him. Like, it's not even two years. Like, this was legit 10 years almost. 10 years later, she's like, you know what? I'm going to change my mind about that decision that I made 10 years ago where I told you that it would be a good idea to put your house in a trust so I didn't have any rights to it. I don't feel that way anymore. So I'm going to go to court and I'm going to have the judges change that so that I can be on title on the house, right? So 10 years almost. Keep that in mind. Let's keep going. Uh, can section 44 uh, to dis uh, dispositions be made before de facto relationship has commenced? So just uh, in brackets there. So Mr. Sutton argued that because his de facto relationship with Ms. Bell had not commenced by November 2004, when the property was transferred in the trust, Ms. Bell's rights under the act had come into existence and he could therefore not have intended to avoid them. A reasonable argument. I would imagine at the time she would have probably said, said something like, well, we were sleeping in his bedroom and we were a couple. So despite what he says, you know, he was taking me on vacations. Like, here's some pictures from Facebook from or 2004. Here's some pictures from MySpace or whatever social media was popular at the time. Here's some pictures from social media where he took me on vacation and we were together as a couple. And look here in the sand. It says, you know, big heart, Sutton, you know, Sutton and Bell together forever, you know, before, um, you know, he put it in trust. Right. So. Again, you know, women always reserve the right to change their mind at any, any given time. So Ms. Bell's rights under the act could not have come into existence and could therefore not have intended to avoid them, is what they said. The court disagreed, noting that for a claim to be available under the section at the time of the disposition, the relationship must have reached a stage where there was a mutual contemplation of beginning a qualifying relationship. Therefore, the existence of de facto relationship at the time of a disposition of a property is not necessarily a precondition. So what does mutual contemplation of mean? So let's expand on that. This isn't much longer, by the way. The court considered that in most cases, the decision to live together creates a strong but rebuttable presumption that the parties have a mutual contemplation of entering into a de facto relationship. The following factors persuaded the court that at the time, uh, the property was transferred to the trust. Mr. Sutton and Mrs. Bell were contemplating a de facto relationship. Mr. Sutton and Mrs. Bell were. This is how she she proved it in court. In an exclusive relationship for 16 months, so she proved at the time when the trust was uh, created that they were in a, a committed relationship exclusive for 16 months, living together for eight of those months. So clearly, this chick moved in as a roommate after they started dating. Dumb move by this guy, of course living together for eight months, for eight of those months, presented as a couple to friends and family. What was I just saying? You know, taking vacations together, holding out to the public that they're a couple, uh, holidaying together. What did I just say? Dude, I know this shit like the back of my hand. Vi <laughs> I almost threw up my mouth there. Visiting family for Christmases. Again, another thing that I said prior before I even scrolled down to this. Planning future holidays, emailing each other about mundane life activities such as grocery shopping, purchasing firewood and cleaning the yard. All of this before he transferred the property into a trust, she was able to prove by keeping emails from 10 years ago, emails that said, hey, you know, when are we gonna clean up the yard or we need to get some firewood for the winter time, it's getting cold. She dug through emails from 10 fucking years ago to provide to the court to prove that they were in a de facto committed relationship before he created the trust. Even though she said, yeah, create the trust. It's a good idea for you to protect yourself. 
You can't, guys, you can't make this shit up. Like, like the cast for me, guys. I need to drink some coffee here. Please, just like the cast. Give me, you know, give me some algorithmic bump here. Let's keep going. So, uh, the court focused on Mr. Sutton's knowledge as to the effect of transferring the property to a trust would have on Mrs. Bell's rights under the act, uh, have no recourse to the property, and concluded that knowledge of the consequences is sufficient to establish an intent to defeat partners' interests for the purposes of Section 44. Blah, blah, blah. Basically, he did it to uh, circumvent her ability to claim an interest in the property, which is what happens when you live together in the eyes of the law. It doesn't matter who's on title. If you live together in a way that looks like marriage to the government and the law and, and family law says, okay, you're now married after this prescribed period of time or under these prescribed circumstances, i.e. Christmases together, i.e. sending an email about needing firewood together, i.e. holding out to the public that you're in a relationship, i.e. in a committed relationship on Facebook, you know, like, you know, when people do that, that shit, so-and-so is in our relationship. Some people do this shit every fucking 10 months. I'm in a new relationship with some new person or something like that, right? Um, defeat partner's interest in purpose of 44. It did not matter that Mrs. Bell supported and encouraged the creation of the trust and the transfer of the property. So he obviously tried to defend their attack by stating that she encouraged uh, the transfer of the property to the trust, nor did it matter that the relationship risk was not the sole driver for the transfer. And Mr. Sutton had other reasons for establishing the trust. So the, it didn't matter what reason he brought up. They were just like, not interested. Uh, previously a consensus desire to defeat your partner's rights was required in order to section blah, blah, blah. So the decision clearly illustrates the threshold much lower. Okay. Blah, blah. Uh, the argument was put forward that Ms. Bell effectively contracted out of an act when she suggested that Mr. Sutton dispose the property into a trust. So the defense, Mr. Sutton's defense basically said she's contracted out of this act by encouraging Mr. Sutton to put the property into a trust. A reasonable argument, you would think. Let's see what happened. However, the act mandates that a person cannot waive their rights unless a formal contracting out agreement has been made. Oh, you know what? Even if you had a formal, uh, sorry, what do they call it? A formal contracting out agreement. So I bet that if he had a formal contracting out agreement, she would still try to find a way to throw that, you know, to cast that aside, right? Therefore, although the, the disposition was made in good faith and with Mr. Bell's agreement, the disposition is still liable to claim under section 44 of the act. The court held that the high court was correct, in fact, that Mr. Sutton transferred the property to the trust in order to defeat Miss Bell's rights. Leave to appeal. This decision in the New Zealand Supreme Court has been granted, blah, blah, blah. So key takeaways, there's a couple paragraphs here from the law firms, uh, like the lawyer that created this um, blog. It basically says, this case clearly demonstrates that if you dispose of a property and that disposition defeats your partner's rights under the act when you are contemplating a de facto relationship, your partner will have recourse to that property under the act, which she was able to prove. She had emails about firewood and cleaning the yard and holidaying together and Christmas together and all that sort of stuff uh, prior to when the trust was created. And I don't even think that creating a trust is sufficient at this point. You could create a trust, sit on it maybe for two or three years, meet somebody, she moves in, even though the trust exists, even though there's a prenup. And, you know, 
female lawyers will argue or females that want to be in a relationship will argue like, well, that's not me. I would never do that. You have the trust. We're not going to untie that. I'll sign a prenup. I'll da, 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 da. You know, everything will be fine. Do you know what would be fine? Just loving a woman and not living with her. You can totally do that too. You don't have to live with a chick. You don't have to succumb to the pressure and bend the knee and okay, babe, whatever you say, you know, if this makes you happy, blah, blah, fucking blah. You can still love a chick and say, no, that's a boundary. You got your place. I got my crib. You know, we'll get together. We'll do stuff together. But you have your own house. Your mail goes to your house. Your packages go to your own house. Um, you know, you maintain your own property. You pay your mortgage. Um, there's nothing here. Like, like this is... This is what women have created. This is what feminism, this is what family law has created. An environment where men and women really shouldn't be living together, especially if the guy has a lot more than she does, which is generally the case in almost all circumstances. There's always one chick out there. She'll be in the comments. She'll be like, well, that's not true. My husband was a stay-at-home and I climbed the corporate ladder and we had to untie the knot and I'm paying him alimony and child support and this is not fair bullshit rarely happens does it happen yeah rarely happens though it is very very uncommon this is the commonality because why women are hypergamous they date across and up they don't want to be with losers on a long-term basis they'll bang losers they'll they'll bang criminals they'll go to nightclubs and do all kinds of nefarious shit with loser men right but when it comes to uh partnering de facto relationships common law having kids and all that sort of stuff um, totally, totally different game. Now, let's keep going anyway, because it's got like one last paragraph here. Uh, contemplating under the act. Uh, the transition from dating relationship to a de facto is one, and one, sorry, a de facto one is an evolution and can be a real gray area, because that's what we need as guys, is more gray areas in our life. We have enough fucking struggles in our life with shit that we're doing with our own challenges. We need more gray areas because the chick's like, well, is this going anywhere? Like, do you even love me? Because if you don't, then we're probably not should be together because we should live together because everybody else lives together. Why don't we live together? And, and then guys are like, okay, whatever you say, baby. Right, because they're pussies. They don't have a backbone. This is, this is why this podcast, this is why my book is so incredibly important because I'm the only guy out there calling out this bullshit. Transitioning from a dating relationship to fact. However, if you are considering moving in with your partner, I hate that word partner, wife, or girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Be clear. This fucking blurring of lines, partner. Or your relationship is developing, then it is important that you take formal steps to protect your separate property rights. Well, this guy did that and it didn't fucking work out too good for him, did it? The most important being entering into a contracting out agreement, which again... Is just another layer of bullshit and fuckery that you got to introduce into your life, which is not guaranteed. The only thing that is guaranteed is not living together. Again, you can love a woman and not live together. You know, I've often said, here, let me finish this. Is also known as a relationship property agreement. While these agreements can seem costly and awkward, they are the best way to protect your separate property. I, I bet if I, looked, if I looked up those keywords under case law in New Zealand, Relationship property agreement. I bet if I did some Googling, I could find case law where women have also fucking untied that contract and weren't able to contract out of that because of some fucking reason because there's an email or a text message about how some fucking firewood needed to get collected because it's getting cold or some shit, right? 
I need a I need a drink of some of this coffee. But guys, don't listen to me. All the tradcons, all the Christ pillars, all these fucking hope, uh, hopeful romantics, hopeful, hopeless <laughs> idiots, uh, think that everything will be just fine, tickety boo, hunky dory, and all right because my girl is different. By the way, they had two kids together, which wasn't talked about in the summary, but that wasn't part of um, the issue with the uh, property. That case was specific to the issue of the property. They had two children together, and I'm sure he's paying child support for those two children. The uh, article doesn't talk about any kind of maintenance or alimony. I don't know if he's obligated to do that, but he is obligated to give her half of the value of the house, which he already gave half of the value to his first wife before this one moved in. So let's hope he's learned his lesson. Um, I'm going to see if I got some call-in time for this one. I should. There's one more thing that I want to cover uh, from a Canadian piece of case law, which I actually covered several years ago, but it's worth re revisiting on this. And um, and then we'll get to the Q&A. The link to call in is in the top of the live chat. Share the cast, like the cast. Um, I'm sure there's somebody out there that needs to see it. I'll get to the super chat um, before I get to the questions. So your vasectomy question and this other one over here, I'll get to that in a second. So the next thing that we need to talk about is a interesting piece of case law in Canada between a billionaire named Michael Latner and a lady named Lisa, sorry, Lisa Clemens, 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 I don't know. I covered this three years ago, maybe four. At the time when I covered it, I sent the video to my family lawyer when I was done with it. I said, hey, what do you think that, you know, did I miss anything here? And then we got lunch and he's like, I watched it and you hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what happened. So I'm going to summarize the Latner climates case, these people didn't even live together. So th this one's even more screwed up. So the title of this video, um, let me share it up on the screen here. So the title of this video, which you can go find on the, I think it's on the Entrepreneurs in Cars YouTube channel. Yeah, it's on my Entrepreneurs in Cars YouTube channel. The title is No Home, Marriage, or Kids, Yet a Man Pays... $53,777 for 10 years. So this couple never lived together. They didn't buy a house together. They didn't have children together. And they didn't get married. But Latner is responsible to pay her $53,777 for 10 years. What does that work out to? I bet it's over $6 million. Uh, 53,777 times 12 times 10. Yep, $6.4 million, excuse me, $6,453,240,000 this guy is paying this old lady for the next 10 years of his life. I think there was a stand-up comic that said something like this at some point. You said, no pussy is worth $6 million. Anyway, there's a video. You guys can go watch that. Um, there's the case over here. So I'll just like, 
I already know this from the back of my hand, actually. So just to sort of recap it, I'll, I'll, I'll share some visuals, but I read the case law on this one as well, um, Mandel. So the, here, here's the, um, the couple. This guy's actually not a multimillionaire. He, he's, he's from a billionaire family. So um, let me see here. Michael Latner, net worth. So he's worth, uh, sorry, Canadian Business Magazine pegged the Latner family. So it's a family net worth. So it's like a rich family at $1.12 billion, making them the 93rd richest family in Canada. So this chick uh, got her meat hooks, this broad over here. She got her meat hooks into this dork um, several years ago, this, this, this billionaire. Um, and they formed a relationship and they didn't ever get married. They didn't, um, have a ceremony. They didn't ever live together under the same roof. Like they never combined households or blending families. They were both divorced. He had kids. She had kids. Um, what else didn't they do that should be considered marriage? Those would be the main things. Having a ceremony, a commitment, buying a house, or having kids together. So they never had kids together either. So she was old. I mean, as you can see in this photograph, she's not a young woman. Um, so Pastor Prime, unable to bring him any more children. But he decided to get into a relationship with her. So here's where it got sticky. Because the definition of a de facto relationship in New Zealand is basically as they define there. And remember, case law and laws can change over time depending on what cases are brought before the court, what the court thinks is important, whether or not they like you. There's all sorts of factors that come into play. So I think this guy thought that he was being smart. Another guy that thought, what could possibly go wrong? I'll just do things with this chick that look like we're married. And he did. So he bought her an engagement ring. Uh, oh, here it is, 7.5 carat ring, okay? 14-year um, relationship. He flew her on his private jet to Florida uh, up to the Muskokas, which is cottage country in Northern Ontario, beautiful houses. Uh, Kevin O'Leary has houses up there. There's lots of hockey players up there. There's lots of actors that have houses up there. They're big, like they're, they're six to $10 million properties on average on certain major lakes up in Muskoka. Uh, it's a very popular vacation place in the summertime and what this guy did was he flew her back and forth yeah here you go palatial it's called a palatial muskoka cottage and what he did was he flew her and her kids back and forth on his private jet to florida to cruises to muskoka on vacations and trips put a 7.5 carat uh, ring on her finger um what else proposed multiple times and paid for all of her expenses. Uh, they had dinner together regularly on uh, several times a week. Let me just see if there's anything in here that I'd, I might have missed in my original one. No, this isn't even very complete. Here, I can close this. Um, this is what she looks like today, by the way, making $50,000 a month. Uh, present, share screen. So she's taken the $50,777 and opened up a yoga, a yoga studio, of course. Uh, One Tiger Yoga and um, Power Vinyasa and Yin Yoga instructor, this chick. Uh, looks like she's had her face pulled back or some work done, but that's what, uh, that's what she's done with the money now. 
but they um, so they traveled together. Um, there was photographs shared on social media, um, talking about their relationship and their commitment. Um, obviously, you know, when she got a seven and a half carat diamond ring, that's photographed and shared on social media. Uh, they had dinner several times a week together at his house um, with the kids in tow. Um, he obviously spent a considerable amount of time. And one of the problems that I came across in that piece of case law is that um, he was spending more days a week. So there's seven days in a week. So he was spending on average more than four days a week with her and holding out to the public that they were living in such a way that looked like marriage. Even though they never had a ceremony, even though they never lived together, even though she never brought him any new children. But because he spent so much time with her, took care of her, ran the expenses, took care of everything, when that relationship ends, and I, you know, I said this years ago in a talk that I gave at an event, if you get together with a chick and you've got you know, the yoga Pilates instructor, whatever, she's down over here in your Latiner billionaire family, and she's like, oh, I like this guy, and then they get together. Now, all of a sudden, her lifestyle is up over here. She's now enjoying the Muskoka Cottage, the private jet, the vacations, the expensive dinners. She's not paying for shit. I wouldn't be surprised if he leased her a car. This is all pretty typical standard sort of stuff. So her lifestyle goes from broke yoga instructor, divorced mom with kids in tow, uh, maybe not even making ends meet, who knows, comes up to here and then they break and then the relationship ends and then she goes to her lawyer and says, well, what can I get from this guy now? And then of course lawyers, because you know the pricks that they are, they start looking for shit asking for evidence and she starts to present it and then they form the case. And the argument that they created was even though they never officiated a wedding ceremony, she was taken care of in such a way that he treated her like a wife, even though they didn't live together under the same roof, even though they didn't have a ceremony and even though she didn't bring him any new children, she's getting $50,777 for the next 10 years of her life, $6.4 million in change. So again, it's not just living together that can be a problem. It can be living together in such a way that looks like marriage even if you maintain your own household. So if you're a chick that maintains your own household and the guy's paying for everything and it's being held out that he's paying for everything and there's a ring exchanged and you, and you stack all of this thing, like all of these sequence of events together over 10 years, because this is what women push men to do, right? Like women push men for commitment. It's understandable if they didn't, our species would flop, it would fail, we would not exist, right? Women have to select the best provisioning male that they can get, that's what hypergamy is. If they didn't do that a thousand years ago, 5,000 years ago, it would spell certain death for her. She couldn't find losers. Women have to find winners when it comes to long-term provisioning. Short-term doesn't matter, they'll bang anything. I was drunk, he was hot, it was the Cancun foam, foam cannon party. Uh, three Italian guys ran a train on me because they were cute. I don't care, whatever, right? Like no accountability. But when it comes to long term, oh, now we have to make sure we find a guy with sufficient provisioning. Now we start, you know, well, all my friends are living together and I don't know if you're going to trust me or where this is going and this is just so difficult for me. And what if, like, what if you leave me one day and I don't know? And guys are just like, okay. Whatever you say, baby, just move in. Because we're fucking dorks, right? Because we don't have a backbone. 
I'm the one that's telling you to pay attention to these things. I'm going to say it again. You can live with a woman. Sorry. You can love a woman without living with her. Are you guys unplugging and seeing the code in the matrix now? Are you paying attention here? Are there circumstances where living together might be appropriate or does it matter? So the title of this one is um, When Living Together, When Living with a Woman is Unwise. I should also rephrase it. When Living with a Woman in Such a Way that the State Looks Like a Marriage is Unwise. Now that we've covered that and expanded on the definition, when might it be wise to live with a woman? The only time that it would make any sense is if you're both at the same level or if she's at a higher level than you. But what woman that is successful and rich and beautiful is going to choose a broke guy? They just don't. A rich man can change a broke woman's life. A broke, sorry, a rich woman won't even look a broke man's way. I'm going to say that again. A rich man will change a broke woman's life. A rich woman won't even look a broke man's way. Do you understand? So if you're a guy that finds a gal that's successful, has a career, is making good money, and she's like, hey, let's live together and have a family, and you're broke as a joke, and you live in there, you're, you're going to be fine, if I'm being honest with you, because family law penalizes the breadwinner. right? And as long as you, you know, have a victim mindset on the exit, you untie the knot, you're like, you know, because everybody's all strong and independent when you're fucking dating and together. I don't need no man. You can't tell me what to do. I'm strong and independent. I make my own money until you get divorced and then you go to court and before the judge, you're like, I'm not strong. I'm not independent. I need his money, right? And then the story changes. So how do you avoid all that? Just don't fucking live with a chick. Simple. Can you live with a chick? Yes. But only if you don't, if you both don't have anything, then it's fine. If the house is a million bucks and she puts half a million dollars in and you put half a million dollars in, that's pretty much fine too. It's just division of the matrimonial asset. You're still probably going to get fucked on the exit, especially if you have kids. Ask how many guys know this from personal experience, right? Lots of guys still, um, you know, will marry on a relatively equal footing only to find out later on that, you know, the wife still gets primary custody um, she buys him out of the house, but fuck you. I had my special appraiser come in and we appraised it $100,000 less than market value. And because you don't want to fight or it's too ex exhaustive, you just give it to her and say, fuck you, just take the hundred grand, right? This thing happens routinely still. So, so it's, it's still not foolproof, but look, guys, you, you want kids, you live in Canada, you live in certain States in the U S you're going to have to expose yourself to this risk. It is what it is. <clears throat> All right, um, that join link to call in is at the top. You guys can uh, hit that. Let me grab these super chats here. Uh, first one's from Philip. He says, hey, Rich, I've never seen anyone advocate in print for a man to get a vasectomy. It seems to be a good strategy for preventing others from undermining his genetic financial future. Sperm can be frozen. I don't have a vasectomy. I think vasectomies are stupid, to be honest with you. I've looked into it extensively. I have friends that have a vasectomy. Um, most of them say that it's fine. You don't really notice any difference with the exception of your load is lighter. Um, cause it still has, how can I explain this? It still has the carrier fluid. There's just nothing in it. Um, 
there's a couple of guys that I know that had complications and they're like, it's not the same. It doesn't matter what anybody tells you. It's not the same. It's just not as pleasurable. It's not the same. They had complications one or the other. So does it happen often? No, it's not, it's not common. It's more uncommon, but you're also, um, neutering yourself. You know, there's a lot of these, uh, swamp guys that are like, Oh yeah, just get a vasectomy, right? Like, um, you know, go and go and protect your seed or go and freeze it or some shit like that. When are frozen peas ever better than fresh peas, right? There's a lot of people that go out there and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to freeze my eggs or I'm going to freeze my sperm. And you take frozen sperm, frozen peas, and you take frozen fucking eggs, right? Versus fresh ones. And you try to thaw them out and you try to put them together under a microscope and put them in somebody that's like 42 years old and expect that a fucking normal baby's going to come out. The success rate is very, very low. Uh, it's exceptionally low and it's very expensive. They generally don't happen on the first two to three tries. There's multiple attempts that are required to have a child if you want to have a child later on down the road. And um, it's very complex and expensive and not guaranteed. And you leave it to later on in life, the shit's been frozen for a while, it gets freezer burn, right? Uh, obviously being, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you hear all these stories where, you know, we froze like 10 eggs and you know, three of them thought okay and the other seven were fucked. So we had to throw them away, right? So, I mean, look, you want to go and snip your nuts and neuter yourself? I'm not going to judge you. I'm just not going to do it. I'm good, right? I know how to have sex and not get a gal pregnant. It's not difficult. Uh, I talk about options in my book. There's actually a really good um, app out there now called uh, Natural Cycles um, that pairs to an aura ring. So the Aura Ring has a temperature monitor on it. And if you link Aura to the Natural Cycles app and you wait for it to form a consistent pattern over several months, it's 99.9% .9 accurate. It's FDA approved. Uh, you just don't uh, unload on the days when things can happen. And you do if you want on days when it doesn't happen. Generally, it's a good idea to leave a buffer between some of those days. So if you're in an LTR, I wouldn't put her on hormonal birth control. It, it messes with chicks. It puts her in a state of uh, perpetual uh, pregnancy. Uh, like, they're just not cool to be around. And the other problem with that too is when a woman's pregnant, she's basically looking for beta bucks. Like she's not going to be attracted to strong masculine virtues, uh, aggressiveness, uh, like chasing of excellence sort of thing. They're going to want you more subdued and to pussify you. Like one of the things that happens to guys once they start having kids is their testosterone levels drop. And it's a consequence of nature trying to keep the couple together, right? So he can protect and nurture the kids, uh, you know, together with the wife rather than zipping off on her. Um, so no, I don't think it's necessary. I don't personally advocate for it. I don't give a shit if you do it yourself. You know, there's lots of guys I know that are like, that's the best thing I ever did. Okay, I'm, you know, I'm happy for you, but I'm, I'm good. Uh, let me grab the other one here. There's one more if you scroll down. Uh, John McGill, have you read Winning Through Intimidation by R. Ringer? No, I haven't read that book. What's that book about? I'll have a quick look here. Hold on. Winning Through Intimidation. Why should I read it? Like, what's the point? I always ask that. Like, what's the point? Whenever somebody, you know, brings something to my attention, it's like, okay, well, what's the point? Uh, went through intimidation, not the victim in business and in life. That's fairly, I don't know, 560 reviews. It's pretty new. I don't know. I've, I've never heard of it. But uh, thanks for uh, pointing it out to me. 
Jerry loves his vasectomy, right? So, you know, there, there's lots of guys that are like, yep, totally love it. It's the best thing I ever did. I, I'm just not willing to, you know, expose myself to any sort of problems. It's, uh, I don't really need to. I mean, you can, you can have sex and not get a chick pregnant. There's ways to do it. There's condoms, there's birth control, there's natural cyclops. You can be a really good puller outer. You know, there's lots of ways to do it if you're not an idiot. Okay. All right. Are we caught up? We're caught up. We're caught up. All right. <clears throat> Link to Colin is at the top. I'm just going to run the uh, ad reel and um, we'll come back and start doing some Q&A. So hit the uh, link up there if you have any question for me whatsoever. I'll be back in like a minute and a half or something like that. Here's the ad. This episode is brought to you by the Unplugged Alpha Supplements and Grondike Soap Company. Brothers, if you're like me and you take what you put in your body seriously, you'll want to use the Unplugged Alpha Supplements. An obsession with absorption is what sets this line apart from the others. You want to make sure that you absorb as much of the supplements as possible so you don't end up peeing out expensive urine. My supplement line is made in the United States from the highest quality domestic ingredients. And unlike cheaper supplements from China and plastic bottles, Mine ship in dark glass bottles to keep your supplements fresher, longer, and won't seep endocrine disrupting plastics into your supplements. Nothing is a hard tablet. Everything is in an easily digestible, bioavailable capsule. You can filter all products by various categories, including testosterone support, estrogen metabolism, fat burning, immune health, sleep support, and performance. Visit theunpluggedalpha.com forward slash shop and use the subscribe and save option to get 10% off your supplement orders or use coupon code alpha10 for 10% off a one-time order to try it out. Then I use tactical soap and God of War beard oil every day. Tactical soap is a handmade product made in the United States from ingredients you can actually pronounce, not conventional endocrine lowering toiletry chemicals. Both the soap and the beard oils are infused with bioidentical pheromones that are designed by a clinical psychologist and pheromone expert to maximize attractiveness to the opposite sex. Go visit coopersoap.com and get 10% off your order today. Guys, check out my website at richcooper.ca for more information on booking me for coaching, my community, my courses, and a whole bunch more. You can also find all the useful links pinned below in the top YouTube comment of all my videos. Now let's get on with the show. All right, couple couple things real quick before we start taking the call-ins. One, um, I mentioned it at the start of the show, if you missed it, if you're coming in after, um, if you're a guy or anybody that is um, the strong income earner in the household, so even, you know, this applies to professional women too, um, and you're contemplating divorce, untying the knot, or in the process of starting to untie the knot, I put a course together with the help of my family lawyer. We spent several hours together on this. There's, I think, close to five, maybe four to five hours in total of content there in the lectures. Uh, you can click it. It's in the description. It's called the Unplugged Alpha's Guide to, to Divorce. Less than 200 bucks. It gives you everything you need to know to navigate that slippery slope so you don't screw anything up. Uh, second thing is as well is we've got a bit of a promotion on the supplements. So as you guys saw, they're just over my shoulder over here as well um, in the ad reel. So I don't take sponsorships from anybody else. I, I only talk about my products, my books, my things. I've, I don't like really... Um, all the emails that I get on a daily basis, uh, sell this product, our water, our fucking scanner, whatever, right? Block all that shit. Um, the supplement store has a promotion on right now on uh, clearance of the pump product. 
So it's a nitric oxide product. It's not a creatine product. It's not a um, uh, like a, a pre-workout type of product, although it has pre-workout type of ingredient and creatine monohydrate in it, but it's a nitric oxide product. Uh, it's heavily dosed with L-arginine and L-citrulline, which is incredibly good for your vascularity and for forming a strong pump while you're in the gym, which coincidentally, guys, also is good for bedroom fun. Um, so before you participate in little uh, nookie, drink one of those about an hour before, and trust me, you'll thank me later. Uh, but if you spend over 200 bucks in the store, you get that for free right now. So take a look at the Unplugged Alpha, grab yourself a little, uh, little uh, pump on the go. And um, if you're doing uh, the subscribe and save, you get a bit of a discount as well. So check that out. All right, let's uh, go to the Q&A here. Let's see what we got. Um, I've got John, Brent. Okay, so let's start with John over here. And we'll start here. John, how you doing, bud? Hey, wow. You're what do you got for me? My hero talking to you, man. I actually talked to you once before. Okay. But uh, I'm a regular follower. I read your book. Um, I've read Were you the one asking me about winning through intimidation? Just said John. Yeah, that's okay. one you should add to your, your uh, read list, man. That's good. It, it, it's about how not to get screwed. And it, it says classifies people into three categories. Okay. The ones who want to screw you and they are open about it. They openly want to screw you. Then there's the ones who hide it. And then there's the ones who actually don't want to screw you, but they do anyway. That's the world. Yeah. <laughs> so he's big on like contracts and like, and especially in like r real estate and all that stuff like that. And, uh, you know, like as a typical guy, I've never been in a court case. I've never sued anyone or anything like that. So like, I don't, you don't know these laws, I think is, is a big problem for it. I, I, I got divorced to, in like 2006 mm -hmm. and, uh, I just recently, only my I, because my ex-wife is with another guy, now mm -hmm. like almost they're not married, but she has my I gave her my mother's diamond ring, mm -hmm. and I gave I, well, back when I was making decent money as a uh, Nokia-related engineer, mm -hmm. um, I bought her a, a big you know fucking ring. I, maybe not, we had nowhere near the uh, the stories you the seven and a half carat guy. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm like, well, but I, I was just thinking, do, do I have a right? I, I live in Finland. Right? I'm American, mm -hmm. but I, I live here in Finland. Do I have a yeah. right to demand those rings back? I mean, if you put it in a prenup, it's easier to get back, right? Did you get your rings back when you got divorced too, right? It was in my prenup, so. So you got them back? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I just never even really thought to, like, because I've been... I mean, I mean, the thing about diamond rings is they're not worth much on the used market. They're, like, they don't have nearly as much value as when they're new. Like, it's easy to sell guys before they're getting married. Oh, look at the fire under this light and the VVS2 and the clarity and the cut and the blah, blah, blah. And you get all fucking involved and you think, like, it's going to be worth more later on down the road. They're not worth more when they get handed back to you and they're already in a casing and somebody's already worn them. You can sell them, uh, but they yeah. don't sell for more than what you paid for them. They sell for less. But right. so I mean, like you like can just look at look at it as the cost of getting out. I always say, like I even mentioned this in my course in the Unplugged Alpha's Guide to Divorce that I mentioned earlier, that uh, you're going to have to give her a pound of meat on the way out. She's going to want something. So whether she gets to keep the engagement ring, or you know, you when you buy her out of the house, she brings in the um, you know the evaluator that uh, appraises at a hundred thousand dollars shy, and she basically walks out of the deal with a nice discount on the house. Um, 
something happens on the exit usually to most guys where they give her a pound of meat yeah. on the way out and she just needs right, that to right. feel happy about it all right 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 the saving face I, yeah. I, I I have to say I'm pretty lucky. I, I mean, I didn't know if, like that they could screw you like this. And I, I wasn't really in a position to have guarded. Well, nobody asks. Nobody here. thinks about these things before they live with a woman because it's like all lovey-dovey. You're in the honeymoon phase. She's, you know, there's usually mm -hmm. tears. Well, when are we going to do this? And where is this going? And because, you know, we're just like, we just want to please. Because, again, they tell women, do what's right for you, girl. And they tell men, you do what's right. So we just man up and do what's right. How are the um, women in Finland, by the way? Are they as... Uh, they're held Boss out to bitchy. the public. Boss <laughs> I, I've been well. I, I the Car there's Karens. It's I think it's it's quite similar to the U.S. But right. uh, and by the way, I love Lake Muskoka. I when I was a kid, I, I have you ever heard of Crown Island? That's, mm, that's a place Crown where, Island uh, does not ring a bell. No, it's a little bit like Finland. It, it, you'd be surprised how much it looks like Finland in Ontario. Is that, is that um, right? Eh? It's like the same kind of. Um, you know, uh, bios, or, you know, the, they say that the ecosystem mm -hmm. across the, uh, certain, like the long, long, yeah, it's, yeah, it's at the same height, the same. it's at the same you height, too. Circle around. so Finland and, and, uh, Siberia, probably also in Alaska, mm -hmm. Canada have same kind of like, uh, ecosystem. hot summers, lots of bugs. I'm a Caltech graduate, so it's part of my lectures. What do you do? You said you're a Nokia engineer. Well, I'm unemployed. I'm, oh, you're I'm unemployed, an right? intel these days. Well, uh, I have two kids, and my son is uh, uh, working on his master's degree okay. here in Hawaii. Okay. And okay. I, I encourage him not to go to Caltech because California is going crazy. Right. And even though it's a great school, and I, I had a great time there, I, I still am connected with yeah. you know my alum friends, and I, lo I love them like brothers. Did you have a so, question for me uh, on this one? Or is it just a uh, Well, uh, yeah, a million questions for you. Yeah. What do you think of, um, I, I asked this on Rolo's uh, podcast, uh, if you, what, what do you think of the, this, um, there's uh, another couple books I could add to your list. I know you probably get millions of these, but there's a couple of things about, uh, emotional intelligence, which Aaron Clary and, uh, Rolo don't, uh, think are, it actually exists. And it sounds, I mean, the whole thing is kind of pussy territory. Emotional, emotional intelligence. Is that like the love language yeah. bullshit? No, no. Uh, well, I think the term got popular from this Daniel Goldman book. Uh, it's called emotional intelligence, which is uh, a book. Um, it's, it's more like from a general uh, about the brain, how emotions work like physically, physically. And, uh, so that, uh, that's Reeves and Travis Bradbury. I think, you know what? I did go through the summary on this book and there's different cat. Uh, here it is. Yeah. The four pillars of emotional intelligence, self-awareness, empathy, social skills, no, no, self-regulation. Daniel Goleman. It's not, that's not the book I think you're, I'm talking about. It's, that's not it's, it? It's, uh, well, okay. Maybe, maybe you have a different copy. I, improving I I emotion so ei so there's an entire wikipedia harvard business school there's lots of information i think i went through the summary on this um if it's the same one right it comes off a little bit hokey in my opinion well let me give you an example which i think is a valid one which i tried to say you know it's hard to say these things on the super chat but i appreciate your giving me time here but, but um that so like which is more emotionally intelligent 
like if, if you somebody does something to you and you call them a bad person right like mm -hmm. they like to call rollo a bad person right that's, mm -hmm. that's not a very emotionally intelligent way to express yourself it what what is because what what's get somebody going to you call them a bad person it's like their character right mm -hmm. but a more emotionally intelligent way rather than you know it's about managing your anger, yours, all of your emotions. There's like different levels of emotional intelligence. There's self-regulation, self-mastery, self-awareness, and there's other uh, awareness and other you know manipulation or influence. Let's call it right. Mm -hmm. So these these are the components of emotional intelligence. If you talk about somebody being bad, you know it's like that's an attack, really. Mm -hmm. But when you say that you said something like this, you said X, you said I was a fucking hoe, right? And it made me feel this way. That that is different than calling you bad. You understand? Like, it's like you can. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't follow you on that one, man. It's 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 kind of losing me. And I think the audience. Right okay, now. So we, so, so we kind of get got to get to the point on that. So we don't lose them. Well, okay. My question is what your opinion on emotional intelligence is, because I I, I think it's a valid thing. I think and, and that often, emotional intelligence and and anything in this ecosystem around pandering to emotions too much is very femme centric. It's it's very female driven, and not logical or rational thinking. Um, you know, you use like the word "ho" as an example, right? If a woman's been with a lot of dudes and you call her a whore, that's not you know, an intent to hurt feelings or anything like that. It's a statement of fact, because that's the definition of a woman that's been promiscuous. So I think when I see a lot of these things, and again, you know, I'm not sure if this is the same uh, summary that I went through, but by the time I was done with it, I'm like, this sounds like a lot of bullshit to me. Well, let's take that example. So you call someone a hoe, which is which is more emotionally intelligent to attack some, like, let's say this is a woman you don't really Well, it's not attacking to attack. It's a statement of fact if they've been promiscuous. Yeah, yeah. But when you state it, like, you know, actually, you know, talking. Uh, no, it's a harsh word. No, I understand that it's not a, a, a kind word and a word that, that, that is uh, piercing, but it's still a statement of fact. Right. But have you, you, you must have been taught in Canada this, like, if I don't have anything good to say to someone. I'm yeah, of course, you know, they tried to cram that down your throat and I don't, I'm not about that. If I got something that I got to say, then I say it. Yeah, but you wouldn't say it to me. Uh, okay. Like here we're having polite conversation. You're, you're yeah. being my coach, man. You're, yeah, you're yeah. like, you're on my side. Okay. So you wouldn't say something like that to me necessarily. Like at least if you had you a promiscuous past and you were describing, you know, being with like a hundred women, I'd say, okay, so you were a whore next. You know, like what else we got to talk about? I'm not, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. sugarcoat it, man. I think that that's one of the problems with the world today is we're putting too many rainbows and butterflies in every, on everything. And I think that it's fine for women to do it if, if I'm going to do some quotations, if they feel like they need to soften, you know, messages. I just don't give a fuck. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm tired of people trying to police and censor my language. Like, don't say this or you have to yeah, use no, that word I, instead of that word. It's like, no, I, I'm going to say you. the I'm word you, that I associate that. with that yeah. behavior. And it's yeah. not to insult you or anything like that. To me, it's just a statement of fact. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cool. Hey, keep your great work, man. You're Thanks, John. Really Appreciate you, man. Thanks for the super chat. Yeah. You're a book lover. Have you read my book? I have, yeah. Thank you. Did you leave a nice review for me? 
I probably did. Yeah. That's the greatest uh, compliment maybe you not. Could ever I'll, I'll go double check. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Have a good day, man. Enjoy your night. Yeah, Cheers. You're all right. Uh, we got, uh, guys, again, if you want to call in, I've got uh, a little more time. There's the link at the top of the live chat on YouTube. Just click it and come through. Let's grab Brendan over here. What do you got for me, bud? Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, I just wanted to ask a quick question about um, spinning plates. Go ahead. So spinning plates for those that are new is just dating multiple women simultaneously in a non-monogamous fashion. Yeah. So can you sort of elaborate on that a little bit? Because I've heard the term and I get the the gist of it, but mm -hmm. I, it sounds like it has the potential to be a bit of a nightmare and almost certainly blow up in my face. Are you are you new to dating? Like, have you been married for a while or with a chick for a while? No, no, I'm on like a dating app and it's working for me. Okay. Uh, but I find I invest, you know, two or three dates, four dates, whatever. That's mm -hmm. a, a month and a half. Okay. You know, that amount of time. And then if it doesn't work out, it's like, all right. And so then it's it. on to the next one. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. um, for those of you that are listening that are newer to the channel and this concept, pay very close attention because this is the most important thing that you should be doing if you're a single guy. This is definitely very important if you're newly divorced or you've broken up um, because the mistake that most guys make is they'll just get into one relationship or they'll go from girl to girl to girl to girl. Um, for you to discern good from bad, for sweet to be contrasted from spicy, you need to have both on the plate at the same time. You're not going to know what a good chick looks like versus a bad chick. You're not going to be able to spot red flags quite as easily if you're only dealing with one chick at a time. And by the way, uh, we've adapted this strategy from women. Women are natural plate spinners. Okay, So women will date multiple guys simultaneously in a non-monogamous fashion until they're like, oh, I really like this guy, so I need to claim him. And then she's like, hey, Bill, where do we stand? Where is this going? Um, you know like what are we sort of thing and then he's like oh okay and then they talk about a relationship and then she tells all the other guys to fuck off even though she was seeing them prior while she was with bill maybe even sexually engaging all of them or some of them so we're just taking a card out of their playbook brendan right so all you do is you know if, if you're on a dating app you match up you open up some conversations you set some dates whatever and then you just start going out with these gals right simultaneously um, you don't owe them any kind of explanation. You don't tell them that, oh, hey, by the way, you know, after the first date or third or 10th date, you don't tell them, oh, by the way, I'm seeing other people. You just let it be known by way of your actions and your availability in your schedule that you're up to chasing excellence, potentially seeing other women, but you don't over overtly state it. So for example, um, you're seeing a gal on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or something like that. You're vetting her. You want to see what she's made of you're leaving your Thursdays and Fridays open for other women. One day she says to you after, I don't know, six dates, hey, you know, let's get together this Thursday. You've already got a date lined up. You don't tell her, well, I'm busy, I have a date. You just say, I already have other plans, but I'll see you next Wednesday, right, sort of thing. And that's all that you owe them at that time. Um, the strategy really is just to spin plates until it's obvious that a woman has chosen you. So I always say, choose women that choose you, right? So don't go out chasing women. Just go out dating them. And then when she starts coming to you and is like, Brendan, you know, I dig your vibe. Where's this going? Where do we stand? And you've looked at her, you've vetted her for the red flags. You know, you've seen that it doesn't really exist. Um, if there's a red flag that exists, like let's say she's posting provocative photos on Instagram, that's the time when you say to her, well, you know, I like you too, but I can't take a chick seriously or invite her into my life if she's 
posting, you know, bikini pics here on Instagram on a regular basis. That's just not who I am sort of thing. So what are you going to do about that? Um, that's when you deal with those conversations. But early on, dating should just be dating multiple women, right? And you can be intimate with them. You, you don't have to be intimate with them. You can do whatever you want. I would discourage you from banging them all. I think it's a bad habit to like just bang everything that moves. Like have a genuine connection. She's obviously attracted to you. She has a genuine burning desire. Then, you know, you want to take it to that step. Do it. Uh, be safe about it. You know, use protection, obviously. Um, did you have any other questions about it? Like, does that make sense? Yeah, I guess I sort of saw it as like, uh, I guess that it makes sense for like the first few you know, like you say, first stage, first, like initial, just it's, getting, it's uh, before any formal commitment is made. Now right. you can keep seeing other women after a formal commitment is made, but you're, but you're going to have to put her on notice and just say, look, I'm not going to be sexually exclusive with you. Right. Right. All right. So that she understands that it's there. Uh, you're not going to embarrass her. You're not going to take, you know, like a side piece on vacation. You're not going to knock up a side piece. They're going to come knocking on your door and be like, hey, you know, I've got Brendan's baby, by the way. Surprise. They don't want to deal with shit like that. Um, so there are guys that continue to do it into perpetuity where they'll just overtly say, yeah, okay, you know, I dig your vibe and I'm glad you want to claim me and I'm happy to be, you know, with you. Uh, you're with me and me only, by the way, but I'm going to sometimes exercise some options, right? So there's that option as well. Believe, believe it or not, that also works. Like it's not that uncommon. Um, some guys have a moral issue with the notion of uh, seeing multiple women simultaneously, whether it's through culture or religion or whatever. Um, I, I say to hell with that. Fuck what other people think. Um, people have been telling us what to think and do for years, and look how that's worked out for most of us. You know, we've ended up in a situation where you know our beliefs have just shattered over betrayal, cheating. You know, something that women do that uh, you know compromises a safe world theory that you hold or something. I talk about that in the opening of my book as well. All right. That's good. Cool. All right. Thanks, Brendan. All right. Have a good one. Enjoy spitting those plates, my friend. See ya. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the, um, it's the fun stage of dating guys. Like when you're dating and you're non-exclusive, you get variety. You don't have to put up with bullshit. There's, uh, I mean, some guys put up with bullshit, but it's like, if you have options and you're attractive, you're handsome, you're captivating, you're doing something with your life, you're successful, women are going to want to see you. Like, you know, they meet you, they, you know, they sniff you out. They, oh, this guy seems to be made of something. You know, they see your car, you know, they see where you live sort of thing. That's, that's when things start to escalate and they express more genuine interest in you and they start choosing you more. That's when the genuine burning desire sort of happens sort of thing. And if they misbehave or if they have red flags or they're problematic or they're drama inducing or they manufacture indignation or, 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 then you just go, you know, it was fun, but bye, you know, sort of thing. Like, I can't take you seriously. Right. And, you know, that's it. You, you, you're just being honest with them. Some people say, um, like the Christ pillars, like the, um, very strong biblical guys are like, oh, well, you're just making more whores or whatever or something like that. It's like, no, um, I've spent a lot of place in my life when I've been single and um, I've never met a virgin ever. I, like throughout my entire, every single woman that I've ever met has never been a virgin. So I don't know where all these virgins are that these Christ pillars seem to think that, um, you know, we're ruining by spinning plates or dating women simultaneously. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, it doesn't exist. Like where are they? I've, I've never met one. So if they're so common and, you know, guys are ruining women by dating a bunch of them simultaneously, it sounds like bullshit to me. It sounds like something to control and manipulate you 
to do what they want you to do sort of thing. Women are already promiscuous, so indulge. I mean, I'm just calling it what it is. Women are promiscuous, indulge. What's, what's the difference if you're number 10 or number 93 or whatever the hell it is? I mean, the chances are if you're, with ni- like if you're number 93, she's probably going to be a shitty choice for a long-term relationship. She's going to have extreme difficulty pair bonding. She's probably going to like struggle to be useful in your life. She will be disrespectful. And if things don't go her way, because you're number 93 and she's done it 93 other times with a bunch of other dudes, she's very happy to go to 94 and then 95 and 96. They're not very sticky, right? I mean, if you meet a gal that's got a very low notch count, that's a better choice for a long-term relationship. So when they're coming to you and they're like, hey, you know, where do we stand? Where is this going? I dig your vibe. The first thing that I look at is notch count. Very first thing. I mean, it's by far the most important thing. Um, all women will go through a hoe phase. You know, I hate to say it, like every single woman out there, they're not going to admit it. They're going to, they're going to make up shit or I wasn't a whore. I didn't do anything wrong. Or, you know, I felt like left out because all my other friends were doing it. Blah, blah, fucking blah, whatever. Um, pretty much all women will go through a hoe phase, right? Um, some women will get married at like 19 or 20, have a bunch of kids and then get divorced at like 34, 35, 38. And they go through their party years then, right? And they're... You know, you see them at the resort smashed as fuck by the pool bar peeing on the stool with their girlfriend screaming, cackling away at like, you know, late 30s, early 40s, recently divorced with half the shit, partying it away, right? So sometimes the whole phase happens later on in life, um, but it does happen. So you guys do what you want with that. Look, you guys ever have questions about these sorts of things? Anything I've talked about in my book, prior podcasts, a video, this is the time to do it. Call in in the show and ask me, Okay. Uh, last call, we're going to give it to Wahlberger and then we're going to wrap up. Hey, Wahlberger, what's up? Hey, Rich, how you doing, man? Good, man. What do you got for me tonight? What's the question? Hey, you know, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, a lot of stuff on the American side, and there's so many issues in regards to illegal immigration, people coming in to the United States and there being huge, massive issues in that mm-hmm. regard. And the thing that I hear all the time by any podcasters always is, why is this happening? Why are they choosing to do this? Well, I mean, it's or- it's orchestrated, clearly. They're doing this yeah. on purpose. Like, they have the option to shut down the borders. They have the option to prevent people from just walking across it. You know that they're giving them envelopes with cash, right? Yes. You know that they're flying them, like, they're not even letting them walk across the border now. The borders are so congested, they're, they're actually flying them for free from major cities in Latin America to the states. The government's yes. paying for that shit. Yeah, right. like it's and, but they always question what is the motive, what is the reason being, voters, and I'll tell man. you why. Here's the reason why. They want Democrat Look voters. Look north to the great Petri dish of Canada and look at the biggest douche in politics that you've ever seen in the history of this country. Wait, Justin wait, wait. Trudeau. I, I, hang on, man. I wanted to call his name out. <laughs> <laughs> go, go ahead. So, I mean, this is what how is it Trudeau's got, fault? Well, this, it's a Petri, all we are, all Canada, I'm admitted to this, Canada is a big Petri dish for the world agenda. That's what we are. Were you You born in Canada or did you come here as an immigrant with your family? Oh, I'm born. I'm born in Canada, but my mother's American. So I, so I came here as an immigrant with my family. Like my family came from England, right? And when we came, we didn't get to go where we wanted to go. We had to prove that we had the financial means to come here and they told us where to go. Like my 
mom wanted to go to Montreal because my grandmother lived there, but because my dad spoke English and work skills, they put him in Toronto. So we came to Toronto and there was a cost to get in. There was a due process. You had to wait for citizenship. I think I became a citizen in, I don't know, like 10 years after I moved here or something Mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, I was small. I was three or four, right? Like there was due process, but now it's just like, Oh, you don't like something or you're somebody hurt your feelings or you're a refugee or whatever it happens to be. Come, come. And the, and the same thing's true in uh, Canada. I was, I was crunching some num- numbers cause I was on a zoom call and these guys were giving me some of the stats on what's going on in, in the, like the border States. And it worked out to something like they're printing, um, $9 million a month in new money because they're, they're handing cash envelopes out, out to these people. So not only are they printing new money, they're also getting free health care. They're also getting a cell phone. They're getting transportation. Um, they're probably going to be voting, I'm imagining, right? Or they can mail in ballots or whatever the fuck it is that they're going to do. It just, it just doesn't make any sense from any perspective. Um, again, when we came to Canada and we immigrated, we had to prove that we had the resources to contribute to the country. We had to prove that we had the skills, right? Like my, like my family had to prove that they were worthy of that status. Mm. That doesn't exist today. All you have to do is say, yeah. my country sucks and I want to be here and they'll let you in and they'll give you free shit. Yeah. Well, and with my case, my mother's American. She's from Wyoming. And so she married my dad, who's Canadian. But she didn't get citizenship until I was probably 15 years old. Mm-hmm. So they were married for a very long period of time. And she had to go through the process and to attain citizenship. Yeah. It wasn't just some joke. Yeah. No, you today know. it's a total joke. It's it's an absolute joke. And it's the same thing in Europe too, right? Like, and you know, that experiment's been going on for quite a while and it's falling apart and women are getting raped and cities are getting trashed and right. all kinds of things are falling apart now. It's, it's like, you know what they're doing here in Toronto? They have a new tax that just came out. I came across. It's called the vacant house tax. So if you have a house in Toronto and it's not occupied by you as a principal residence, like it's vacant, like it's an investment property or something you're just sitting on for whatever reason, mm-hmm. they're going to tax you on it. And I suspect the next step after that is they're going to be using your vacant home to house illegal immigrants in it. Dude, here in Calgary, municipally, we have a brown bag tax. I don't know if you heard about this. What's that for? For paper bags? A bag, if you go through a drive-thru, if they give you a bag, yeah, you pay 15 cents for the bag. Like for the like, bag itself or is that a tax on top the of the bag. pay for the bag? No, for the bag itself. Yeah, okay. Well. For the bag. And so if you go through a drive, they literally have to hand you each item individually right, as right, you right. go through. So you it's the stupidest shit ever. Yep. Uh, you know, but I, I just wanted to address the immigration thing so much because it proved to work with Trudeau in 2015, 2016. We brought in a massive amount of refugees from Syria. Yeah. And he made the biggest show humanly possible literally taking coats or i remember and 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 you know engulfing them in these coats and mittens that he was giving them as they came on by and came on in and the good so, news though is uh there's been two hundred and ten thousand ukrainian refugees coming to canada most of which are women obviously so there's been some benefit to it from that angle <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yeah, and thanks, I bet. Man. that's all right. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I, I'm just brother. saying, oh. you know what? U.S., get your eyes open and see because we Canada is just a big petri dish. It's, They're testing shit out. The look, whole emergencies act that they threw on us, all of that. Here's the final test, Wahlberg. Here's the final test. Let's see who's elected president 
later on this year in the States. And let's see who's elected prime minister next year in Canada, because the Canadian election is 2025. U.S. election is this mm-hmm. year. Let's see who the people vote in. Let's see if they're if they're fed up with the bullshit yet, because that'll be the well, true test. Yeah. And here's the th- if, if they're pushing all this immigration, who do you think is going to become president for the United States? Who's the king of immigration Gee, and me, liberalism? Gee, let me there? think about that one. Right. I'll tell you who it is and who's the slickest douche in the Trudeau to Gavin Newsom. Yeah. We'll see. So let's see what the outcome is, man. I'm not holding my breath. All right, brother. You know me. I'm the enjoy the decline guy. Have some fun. Yes. Have a good yes. one. See you later, <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. So that's it. Uh, I'm going to wrap up the show on that note. I want to thank you guys for watching. Uh, make sure if there's somebody that needs to see this cast, there's lots of valuable information in it. There's probably some guy out there that you know right now. It's like, hey, I'm thinking about moving in with Becky. Well, you might want to have a conversation with him about that and let him rethink that idea. Um, be back on again next Monday. I think Moff has him office hours on tomorrow and a uh, new episode next Wednesday, same place, same time. Do the whole thing for the algorithm, the like, the comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Here's the outro. See you guys soon. Peace. All right, guys. If you enjoyed that podcast, make sure you visit my website at richcooper.ca to learn more about my courses, my book, The Unplugged Alpha, community, or booking me for private coaching. Also, if you are a Canadian with $15,000 or more of credit card debt, and what you are doing right now isn't paying off the balances, then visit totaldebtfreedom.ca and hit get a free quote to see if you qualify to settle your credit card debt for less than you owe today over the next 48 months. Make sure you check out the top pinned comment on YouTube for all the links mentioned during the show. Peace.